from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Last Saturday, after two weeks of negotiations in Glasgow, the UN climate talks wrapped up, and the head of this year's COP meeting was getting ready to close a deal between 197 countries. COP stands for Conference of Parties, and one of the rules for finalizing an agreement is that all parties need to sign on. COP meetings work by consensus, which means that every country has to agree to that text. Getting nearly 200 world leaders to agree on any consequential language is difficult. And this year was notable because it looked like they were about to agree on a document that included aspirations to phase out coal. So first, I now invite the COP to adopt the decision entitled Glasgow Climate Pact, contained in document F. Triple C, stroke CP, stroke 2021, stroke L30. That's COP President Alok Sharma wrapping up the formalities. Now, this might be indecipherable to anyone who doesn't speak diplomat, but it's actually quite simple. Sharma is introducing the agreement and saying to everyone, okay, can we get this thing finalized? And before the final text is agreed, rather than having to wait for every country to say, yes, we accept it, the process works by the president saying, are there any objections? If there are none, they hit the gavel and the text is final. But in the final moments of the summit, one diplomat spoke up. It was about the phase out of coal. You know, when he said, okay, we have the final text. I hope we all agree. Uh, Are there any objections? Before he could hit the gavel down, there was an objection from China. I see China is seeking an intervention. I invite China to take the floor. And China said, we believe that the language around coal needs to be modified according to what we've told you previously and what we signed in our deal with the US a few days ago. Delegates and like-minded countries and other developing countries uh, expressed concerns. Then India made an objection. Mr. President, Thank you very much. After discussion with discussion with the presidency and various stakeholders in the other countries, the next text we propose and will be read as follow. If you permit me, I read that. And so the Indian minister then read out a paragraph that essentially changed one word from phase out to phase down. And this choice of one word, phase down in place of phase out, sparked a heated back and forth that Alok Sharma feared would upend the pact that was just about to be signed. Is it safe to say that the deal hung on that word? Yes, it is, because he later on after the deal was done, you know, the morning after interviews, which were on Sunday, he was asked again and again, do you think that the deal would have fallen apart had you not made that one word change. And he said yes. This is The Carbon Copy, a show about the changing planet one story at a time. I'm Stephen Lacey. COP26 just wrapped in Scotland. We have an agreement. And for the first time, it explicitly mentions fossil fuels. This week, why that language is so important and what the last-minute disagreement tells us about how power is brokered in global climate talks. The entire solar industry rests, both literally and figuratively, on a vulnerable material. That material is aluminum. It is one of the most carbon-intensive metals, with the bulk of its supply originating in China. But what if module frames made from domestic recycled steel replaced it? 
On May 30th, Latitude Media and Origami Solar will host a frontier forum that explores what would happen if the U.S. solar industry shifted from aluminum to recycled steel. We'll explore the impact on supply chains, costs, technical performance, and carbon emissions. This is a must-attend for anyone who cares about the domestic solar industry. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes, or go to latitudemedia.com events. How tired are you right now? Very. I mean, it's been 48 hours since I've returned, but still tired. I think I slept 11 hours both nights. <laughs> Akshat Rathi is a climate journalist for Bloomberg. He traveled from London to Glasgow to report on the two weeks of global negotiations that just ended. COP events are the culmination of years of diplomacy, a place where countries put final touches on the language they've been working out behind the scenes. I've been told that COP meetings are a lot about square brackets. These are sort of unagreed upon texts that, you know, 200 countries have to come to a consensus about. But uh, this COP was much more than about square brackets. The first week was full of news and it did feel like Paris Agreement is getting into a new phase. This year's event was critical. It was the moment when countries were supposed to update their climate plans under the rules of the Paris deal signed in 2015 and set new standards for measuring reductions of heat-trapping gases. There was also this big question about how to commit $100 billion a year to help developing countries with their clean energy transitions. Alok Sharma's mantra headed into the event, keep 1.5 degrees alive. We can move the negotiations forward, and we can launch a decade of ever-increasing ambition and action. This is the goal under the Paris Agreement, uh, the more ambitious of the two goals, the other goal being two degrees Celsius. And what we've learned since the Paris Agreement was signed, that the difference between a two degrees Celsius and a 1.5 degrees Celsius world is vast. And so, you know, many island nations, for example, will be underwater if we go past the 1.5 degrees Celsius mark. And so Alok Sharma wanted to ensure that there would be enough commitments from countries to try and keep that 1.5 degrees Celsius target in sight. There was a mood that something significant could happen at the start of the the conference, but uh, everybody knows because of the way COP works, because it requires a consensus among 200 countries that any agreement would be hard. And within the first week, there were some pretty important developments. World leaders kept referencing 1.5 degrees. There were side deals on slashing methane emissions and limiting deforestation. There was also a big target for zero emissions vehicles signed by governments and businesses. But one of the main sticking points was around limiting fossil fuels. Up until now, we have not had specific fossil fuel callouts in final agreements coming out of COP conferences. When does the negotiation around a specific call out for coal begin in the negotiations? So the very first draft of what is known as the cover decision, which is the final text of the COP meeting, had a mention of both coal and fossil fuel in it. And the way it was phrased was that countries will try and phase out the use of coal and phase out fossil fuel subsidies. After a quarter century of negotiations around a problem we know is caused by coal, oil, and gas, this was the first time that fossil fuels were actually targeted in the text. It was historic, but as the drafts piled up, the language shifted. 
as it went through multiple drafts, by the end, that paragraph had grown in size because a number of clauses were added on top of it, which limited the scope of what the parties agreed to. And with every draft sent around to the delegates, tension started to build. And it culminated just as the conference was about to close. You know, in the last hours of negotiation on Saturday, there was a fight between India, China, and the U.S. on one side and all the other countries on the other side to try and change one word from phase out to phase down. This is the moment you heard at the start of the show. First China interjected, then India jumped in suggesting softer language, and suddenly a chorus of disappointment filled the room. But we are disappointed both about the process and about this last-minute change. Mexico fully aligns with the statement made by Switzerland. We believe we have been sidelined in a non-transparent and non-inclusive process. There were a number of objections from other countries. On behalf of the Marshall Islands, I wish to read into the record our profound disappointment. So we heard from island nations who said, we are disappointed that India gets to open the text while we've been told that we are not allowed to modify the text anymore. We accept this change with the greatest reluctance. We do so only, and I really want to stress, only, because there are critical elements of this package that people in my country need as a lifeline for their future. A number of countries made that point. As diplomats huddled, lobbied, and spoke out, Alok Sharma suddenly faced a potential unraveling of the final agreement. So he made a call, keep the softer language and get the deal done. In the end, it became countries will phase down unabated coal power and phase out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. And we can debate whether any of the additions of adjectives in that sentence will make a real difference in the world. But that's what countries wanted, especially many of the developing countries, India and China, for example, alongside the US, were very key to making the language around coal be what it became by the end. Can you describe that moment when Alok Sharma announces the deal and is visibly upset? When it went down the way it went down, Alok Sharma held in his mind the importance of what was supposed to happen when the deal goes through with the disappointment of how this one word caused tension on the stage in the final hours. And, you know, he later told us that he was, he hadn't slept very much and all of that came into this one moment where after apologizing, he paused, he looked down, he felt real Uh, sadness for what had happened, but he also felt it was his duty to make sure that the deal went through. Um, May I just say to all uh, delegates, um, I apologize for the way this process has unfolded, and uh, I'm deeply sorry. I also understand the, the deep disappointment, but I think as you have noted, it's also vital that we um, protect this package. Delegates, thank, thank you. Thank you, friends. We, 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 we need to proceed. Thank you very much. After the break, what this last-minute disagreement tells us about fragile diplomatic alliances between powerful countries and how those play into climate talks. 
Mark your calendars for May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and Origami Solar will unveil new research on how recycled steel can help reinvigorate the U.S. solar industry. Why recycled steel? Well, the solar industry is dependent on imported aluminum for frames, leaving it vulnerable to geopolitics, supply disruptions, and higher-cost transportation. By switching from aluminum to recycled steel, solar producers can reduce greenhouse gas emissions and qualify for IRA domestic content incentives. Have questions about the shift to steel and the impact on supply chains? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, Origami Solar CEO Greg Patterson, and American Clean Power's MJ Shao for this live virtual event. Again, it's May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Register for free at latitudemedia.com events or click the link in the show notes. India took the blame for the final language change around coal, but Akshat and his Bloomberg reporting colleague Jess Shankelman uncovered a scoop. America and China were also behind the change, and their support was wrapped up in negotiations that date back years. So the Paris Climate Agreement is this defining moment in climate history, right? And it only happened because a year prior to the Paris Agreement, China and the U.S. got together and agreed on a deal to do something substantial about climate change. That alignment between the two largest emitters and two largest economies in the world was crucial to make Paris happen. There was a little bit of a a problem going into Glasgow because, of course, the tension between the U.S. and China had grown a lot under the Trump presidency. The trade war, the Huawei case, etc., And there had been no deal of the sort that we saw pre-Paris between these two powers. And so would we get a deal in Glasgow that would be ambitious was a question that hung over the entire conference. And then on the Wednesday of the second week of the conference, we actually had a deal between the U.S. and China. And we later learned that this process of trying to get a deal between the two countries had been going on for months In fact, John Kerry had come to a Bloomberg Green event where he said he'd been speaking to another country till 3 a.m. that night. He never specified it was China, but we now know it was China. And that two or three page document that came on Wednesday was what then set the tone for the deal to happen on the Saturday. And in that deal is where we had the language around phase down of coal. And that's the language that eventually made it into the final deal as well, except India took the blame because India and the the minister from India was the one who was reading that language out. And so on the world stage where it was playing out, it looked like it was India's demand, except, of course, it was both U.S. and China behind that too. And so America's support of this change to phase down instead of phase out wasn't just to protect the overall agreement, but also its relationship, its tenuous relationship with China, where a lot of backroom negotiations and progress had been made. Absolutely. And I mean, when I did my reporting on India, there was a very clear sense from India as well that we are very happy to phase out coal, but why are you just focusing on coal? Why not oil and gas as well? And of course, oil and gas never made it into the final document. And we know among the world's largest producers of oil and gas is the US. And so those kinds of global powers of fossil fuels do wield their influence in the final documents that come out of COP meetings. It feels surprising that fossil fuels up until now haven't gotten 
a mention at all in these final agreements. Why is that? I think it goes back to the problem of the consensus. We know, for example, when the framework that created COP meetings called the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change was put together back in 1992, Saudi Arabia was among the countries that objected to make sure that the process is by consensus rather than by supermajority, which meant every country had to agree to a piece of text. That, of course, makes it really hard. And that's one reason why fossil fuels have not ended up being mentioned in any COP documents in the past two dozen years. But of course, it doesn't change the reality. It's very clear that if you want to get to net zero, you're going to have to reduce fossil fuel use. And just because it made it into the text is historical, but that doesn't mean that we didn't know what we had to do. So does this Glasgow deal keep 1.5 degrees C alive? Uh, rhetorically, it does. <laughs> the way Sharma put it is uh, its pulse is weak. In the end, we got a final deal. It included a mention of fossil fuels for the first time. It established a framework for reporting emissions and trading carbon, and it calls on countries to step up their targets next year. A lot was left out. There's no mention of oil and gas. There's still no agreement on how to financially support developing countries. There's no enforcement for targets. But alliances hung together at a very consequential moment for the talks. And that may be one of the biggest wins from Glasgow. I think it's a miracle it works at all. The fact that we had any sort of deal when you have 200 countries bickering and that deal actually marked some progress, not enough progress, but some progress, is remarkable that it happens at all. There is a lot of green activists saying, well, this has been a failure because you've not really done anything to bring us to the path that the world needs to be on, which is the path of 1.5 degrees Celsius. And then on the other side, you're hearing, you know, Alok Sharma and other world leaders saying, we've got a deal much more ambitious than ever in the past. And we've mentioned coal and fossil fuels for the first time and we've made history. Both those facts are true. That's the show this week. You heard from Akshat Rathi, a UK-based reporter from Bloomberg News, who is clearly always prepared. Just for backup's sake, I do have a second recorder, which I will turn on. <laughs> All right. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Our producers are Jamie Kaiser, Dalvin Abawaje, and Daniel Waldorf. Sean Marquand mixed the episode and composed our theme. Original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much to the entire Canary Media team. And uh, make sure to give us a rating review if you like this show. Spread the word. And listen to our new companion podcast, Catalyst with Shail Khan. Find it at canarymedia.com or any podcast app. Join us here next week. I'm Stephen Lacey.